Hi, and welcome to Stefan Libero Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Now, for today's show, my guest is NVK. He's the co-founder and CEO of CoinKite. So he's rejoining me on the show to chat about a range of things, but primarily we talk about TapSigner, which might just be Bitcoin hardware for the masses. So for those of you who are familiar, the cold card is a well-known device amongst Bitcoin users, but it's probably fair to say that this is not necessarily the device for the masses, at least yet. The TapSigner offers a new iteration in terms of user experience, given it has NFC. So we chat about this and the implications of this, as well as being at a vastly reduced price point compared to the cold card. So for those of you interested in Bitcoin mining, you've got to check out brains.com. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Now, the big news recently is that what used to be called Slush Pool is now called Brains Pool. So they are unifying the brand under the Brains umbrella. Now, Slush Pool and Bitcoin.cz was the first Bitcoin mining pool. They've been mining since since 2010, and they have mined almost 1.3 million Bitcoin. Now, they offer a range of features with Brains Pool. You, you have frequent and customizable payout timing. You have worker management and monitoring. You can get alerted about changes in your hash rate, and you can even do access management. There are APIs to share access to your pool account without fully compromising your security. And Brains also offer VIP support for large-scale mining operations, so get in touch. Brains are working on a complete platform to give miners what they need, whether that's a mining pool, auto-tuning firmware, farm monitoring, and management. So go to brains.com. My favorite Bitcoin hardware in the space is created by coinkite.com. They are the creators of the cold card MK4, which is the latest and greatest Bitcoin hardware wallet out there. It has two secure elements. It has NFC support. It has more RAM and CPU, making for faster signing of transactions. And it's a very versatile and reliable performer. I've used it personally in different contexts, and I find it a really excellent choice. You can use it easily with wallets like Sparrow Wallet or Spectre Desktop and others. Now, CoinCard also make a range of products. They've got the TapSigner and the Sats Card. These are cheaper devices designed for the developing world. And the Sats Card, you can think of that like the new Open Dime. It's an easy way to hand around a smaller amount of Bitcoin. Now, CoinCard also make metal backup seed products such as the Seed Plate, which you can buy and use to back up your 12 or 24 word recovery phrase. So to get all of this, go to CoinCard.com use code Levera for a discount there. Now, the lead sponsor of this show is Swan Bitcoin. And the big news recently is Swan has acquired Spectre Solutions. So in other words, this is the team behind Spectre Wallet and also the Spectre DIY device. This is one of the well-known DIY multi-sig wallets, though of course you can use it for single signature wallets also. Now the cool thing here is Spectre is going to remain fully FOSS, but it can also form part of the solution for Swan customers who want to self-custody and self-validate. And don't forget Pacific Bitcoin is coming. This is going to be an awesome Bitcoin-only event November 10th and 11th in LA, California with awesome Bitcoin is coming. Michael Saylor is coming in person. People like Lynn Alden, Pierre Richard, Alex Epstein, Preston Pish, Jeff Booth, and many others. It'll be hosted by Peter McCormack, Natalie Brunel, and myself. There will be three tracks in terms of multiple stages going. There's, there will be workshops and side events. And for premium ticket holders, there will be a VIP party. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Make sure you go and get your tickets over at pacificbitcoin.com. Use code Levera for a discount there. And now onto the show with NVK. NVK, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And I mean, there's so much always happening in this space. And finally, just as literally, you know, 20 or 30 minutes ago, I got this 
Uh, so for audio listeners, I'm just holding up the Block Clock Micro. So I just got the new one, which is fantastic. And as other visual listeners can see, I've got the Block Clock uh, Mini in the background behind me. So uh, I'm excited to chat about that. And uh, I know, you know, the Tap Signer conversation as well, I think is starting. The NFC conversation is happening. So maybe we should chat a bit about that also. So, uh, I, you know, I've had a chance now to play around with Tap Signer also. Um, and Nunchuck. So that's really cool as well. So uh, maybe you want to just give us a bit of an update. What's going on with TapSigner and NFC Bitcoin? Yeah, so I think we announced this, uh, was it early this year or late last year? I think about that time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it started shipping sort of like smaller batches for devs and through throughout the, the year. And uh, we were sort of like helping the devs get NFC integrated and, you know, get the NFC sort of like understood because nobody was doing NFC. <laughs> kind of like PSBTs, right? Right. Um, so, so like we were doing all that sort of like uptake work, right? To, to sort of educate and uh, teach people and sort of like help them code the NFC solutions and all that stuff. And uh, Hugo was the first to market with uh, Nunchuck. Nunchuck is, is this fantastic multi-sig wallet for people that don't know. Uh, it's cross-platform. And they've done a fantastic job uh, with, the, with the Tap Signer and Cold Card NFCs, I think, coming out on the next release. Yeah, so I think it's that, already out, actually. Yeah. But yeah, so, but like backing up a bit, I mean, like this, the, the whole idea with this project really is to sort of like, okay, how can we make a truly affordable like not just BS affordable, right? Like actually truly affordable uh, hardware wallet that like the whole world can have, right? For for single, single, multi-sig that is also cheap to ship uh, and is concealable and is physically secure, right? Uh, you know, would you put a million dollars in it? Probably not, right? It's not the model, right? There's It's not as secure as a cold card kind of thing. It is very, very resilient. It's It's fairly, fairly secure. But, you know, like if you want extra security, you can just use two with uh, multi-sig or something. But anyway, so so that's the idea. And and we sort of managed to get this first sort of like few batches at uh, at uh, like about 40 bucks price point. And yeah. uh, we're we're sort of like trying trying to get it down to probably like 19, 20 something bucks uh, as wow. as as we scale this. Uh, we're we're going to be very aggressive on on pricing on this. Um, because, you know, Bitcoiners like us who live in the first world, you know, like have like a bit more money and, you know, like all this stuff seems like, you know, whatever. But when you're talking about like normies in North America, so your average sort of like, you know, boomer or, or, or people outside of North America, I mean, you know, things that are sub $30, are now very, very sort of like enticing, right? Like we hope that all these people can sort of like finally take the leap without feeling like there is risk or they're not going to use it or whatever and, and take on self-custody because yeah, uh, otherwise think, everybody's going to be custodial. Yeah, i got to say I'm bullish on this Tap Signer project and where it's going because I really do see it as opening up the market for people who are newer and they're not willing to kind of shell out you know, let's say you want the latest and greatest, you want the MK4, you know, you're paying about $148 for that. Uh, whereas if you're getting, hit, you know, today, as we speak, the tap sign is about $40. And, you know, as you're saying, if it's coming down to in that $20 or $30 range, now it's kind of like, 
that's the price people pay for an Uber or like a main at a restaurant, you know? So that's right. it's kind of bringing it down the accessibility and speaking from using it, like I've played around with Nunchuck, the user experience really is very, it's fantastic, right? Like, because basically it's very kind of, at least from what I've found playing around with it, you just basically tap it and you type in the pin code and it basically, it's very self-explanatory, it. right? It just says, oh, do you want to spend? Okay, tap. And okay, now the transaction has been signed. And basically in the background, there's all this stuff going on, but it's kind of a lot of that has been abstracted away from the user. Because I think the other point that's really interesting is it's something physical for people, right? Because Bitcoin can be quite conceptual, right? You've got private keys. We have software wallets. We have software devices, coordinating software. We have Bitcoin nodes. And all of this stuff is out there. And it, it takes a lot to teach and explain that for people. Um, so I think this might be a really great next step. So for, for a lot of people, their first exposure might be Moon Wallet or some phone wallet. Yep. But then maybe this is their next step for a lot of people. You know, uh, humans have been doing like physical custody of things for as long as humans were around, right? So to, to take that away from people confuses people. Right, I, I really think it's important to have the physical component, and the physical component also exponentially increases their security, right? Because realistically speaking, like you know, most people will lose their BTC either to viruses on their computers, right, or phones, especially on Android and in shittier Android phones that are rooted by carriers in poorer countries, or they will lose the stuff due to, you know, actual loss, right? Like they, they misplaced it, they lost their phone or whatever, or forgot the pin or forgot the password, right? So giving them a card that they treated with a little bit more respect than, than just like an app on their phone, I, I think just greatly creates the correct mindset, right? Like this is money, right? The money's in the card, even though it's not technically. <laughs> you know, if right. I if I don't lose this card, I have my money, right? And and, and we went sort of like a, a step above of that. Like we actually encourage nearly enforced backup. <clears throat> so what happens is when the user sets up the card, uh, for example, Nunchuck, he immediately asks, Do you want to back this up? And it's safe to back up because the backup is encrypted. So you can just save it on your iCloud on your phone or whatever, right? So in case you do have an issue that is saved uh, and to decrypt the backup, you still need like the code that's on the back of the card, right? So so it, it does sort of like greatly improve your, uh, your setup there. And you could write down that backup key somewhere in a piece of little paper and leave it in your office, right? Nobody can do anything with that backup key because it's not the actual backup. I see. And so I guess as part of where this all goes, it may make sense to talk. Well, let's firstly talk about who does it make sense for this? You know, who does it make sense to use? Like as I'm seeing it, it seems like people who are not in the first world and let's say they can't afford you know, the, the higher level hardware devices uh, and potentially as part of a multi-sig. So even if you are in the first world, you yes. might just want this as part of multi-sig. Or potentially maybe the third use case is like, let's say you just want this as like a little day-to-day -day spending amount. So let's say you've got a smaller wallet, obviously the hardcore stuff, you, you know, that's where you're, we're using our cold card or multi-sig and passphrase mm -hmm. and, you know, all that stuff. But for this kind of, let's say, day-to-day -day spending, maybe it makes sense to have a little NFC tap as well. 
Yeah, so so there is like this is extremely um it's like a broad reach product, right? Like it's very flexible because all it does is it uh it message digest sign, right? So it doesn't care what kind of transaction it is, it doesn't care if it's multi-sig, single sig, it just signs. <laughs> That's why I call it tap signer. <laughs> um and what's cool is that so you can have people use it very simply. Right, just with their apps, single sig. You know, the boomer now has some other medium that is not just the app wallet, right? Uh, and then you have the affordability part, so people in developing world can do it, and they can maybe leave the card at home so they don't carry it with them, so they're not at a risk of being robbed. And then you can do the multi sig, and the multi sig gets interesting because now this can be part of your true ultra paranoid crazy setup too, right? So you could have this, you know, against two other cold cards, for example, that are buried under mountains, right? But what's cool is that, like, you have a different vendor for the chip mixed in as well. So it's essentially, I know it's the same company, but it's kind of multi-vendor, at least on the stack, right? Uh, you're not depending on a single chip. We went further on this, right? We wanted to provide as much as we could from what we learned in cold card and, and what we learned about... Um, trust minimized things to the sort of like more economically incapable uh, uh, societies where, you know, like I, w I don't want people to trust that we are generating private keys for them with the secure, with the secure element uh, uh, random generator, right? So what we do is we, we ask the user to pick a, all of this in an extremely easy, abstracted, non-complicated way. You just press a button on the app, but... What the app is doing, and it's not an app by us, so you're not trusting us, right? You're trusting two separate vendors to do this. Uh, it's providing chain code as part of the entropy so that you're not trusting us either, right? So, so it does provide sort of like a higher level uh, means of, of security, even though it has these compromises, um, so yeah, so so that in in use, you could have the paranoid, you can have the the third world, you can have the you know for company multi sigs like uh, like enterprise. This thing is amazing. Enterprise have been doing smart cards for keys and for and for uh, key shuffling for like decades, right? So you can have your CEO with a card, you can have your controller with a card, you can have you know like treasury with a card, and then. You know, you go in your nunchuck on your desktop wallet that's a little bit more capable in terms of like UI and stuff. You can coordinate the transactions all encrypted chat, right? And then you just tap to sign and you know exactly which executive signed for what. Uh, it's pretty amazing. That's not even getting into using this for authentication, right? Because this thing can just sign messages too. So you could use this for authenticating into websites and, and apps and whatever you want. As devs sort of like see how it's better to use Bitcoin encryption versus something else uh, uh, for authentication as well. Yeah, lots of possibilities there. So we'll just have to see where the market goes and what the uptake is. But I could also see this as like even at this price point, it's probably cheap enough that let's say if you're a you know you're an advocate, you're a Bitcoiner, you're an educator, you're a promoter, you might buy a lot and yep. give them to your family and friends, right? So maybe if, if we you've already got like, have that, yeah. 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 So so we have like white labeling as part of the of the product idea, right? So you know we want a casa to have a casa card, right? We want 
you know, influencers or, or whoever, like, you know, educators to have a card with their brand on. We have a few already in, in sort of like in production so that, you know, you go to, you know, some Bitcoin meetup in your city and you trust those guys, right? Like they're the people who are teaching you about seeds anyways. So, like you know, if they give you a card to start using now, like now you're not just like some guy with some app, right? Like you actually have a hardware solution. It's just, it's just so cool to have something so cheap, right? Yeah, for sure. So I think probably, of course, we're dealing in a world of trade-offs here. Of course, it's not the same level of security. Um, but I suppose, how does this compare with, say, air gapping, right? So this is part of the, you know, this has come up. And I know, obviously, there's a bit of an mm-hmm. eternal September in this space, right? So we sometimes see people ask the same questions that have been sort of discussed and fought about years ago. But then sometimes the debate comes up again. So in that whole conversation around air gapping, where do you think this sits? Like, would you say a tap signer counts as an air gapped uh, device, uh, or or do you see it like NFC? You know, allows that sort of back and forth rounds of communication. How would you uh, so answer that? So, I, I would say that this is like at least a couple orders of magnitude better than USB in terms of security, right? Because you know the device is not connected to something. It's very hard to. And there is a secure element on this too, right? So you know, this is not the 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 banana security of, of some devices out there, right? Like this is still a very secure device. Um, you know, but it does have like it is radio capable essentially, right? So you want to keep it in your sleeve. You know, it comes with a little RFC uh uh um, blocking sleeve. And uh, you know, a lot of wallets nowadays, actual money wallets. Uh, uh, have RF uh, a blocking because of their credit card. So it's like, you know, everybody has nowadays like tap capable things in their pocket. So it's not like a huge deal. Another cool thing too is that there is a pin, right? So it's not like somebody can just tap or intercept the radio. It's very complicated equipment to try to, to get that because you also, it's near field, right? So you actually need to be very close because the power comes from the phone and the induction on the coil needs to be like, millimeters away from it right so you have that i am not very concerned about that but you know when you're talking about you know tens of millions of dollars and you have like (laughs) your super paranoid setup that's a different story right now if you're just you know carrying around what you would have carried as a stack of cash in the wallet anyways like who cares right gotcha yeah yeah i think that all makes a lot of sense uh and i think it might be interesting as well to chat a little bit about where the software is right now so obviously we're early days in NFC Bitcoin. Like it, yes. it's literally, you know, less than a year old, right? It's probably less than yes. six months old in terms of software support in the wallet. So obviously right now, Nunchuck is one of the well-known wallets. Yep. I suppose what we're looking for here is to see other software wallets and applications uh, kind of start putting in support for this kind of thing. What's your hope there? So it's already happening. It's just it's not public. Uh, but but there is a lot of work being done. Uh, there is a few open source libraries now to integrate CKTAP, uh, which is the library that we created for this. And there is also the NFC work being done for CodeCard as well, uh, which is a slightly different sort of protocol that we created. On the CodeCard is actually even more sort of like spec open kind of thing. It's just it's just sort of like that initial uptake, right? Like the QR stuff for wallets took forever to happen, you know. PSBT took about, like, we pushed it for about a year before it sort of started to, to get. Uh, you know, this already moved faster, right? So, like, this one within, like, you know, less than six months, like, there is already, like, 
a proper quality wallet out in the market doing it. And they and they actually open sourced the the C++ um, uh, NFC library that they built for this. So there is that too. There is the Python as well. Uh, and I believe there is a JavaScript one as well. I think, you know, probably in another month or two, we're going to see a few more wallets announcing that they have NFC as well. There is also some more interesting larger companies also pushing NFC standard. There's a lot going on, but not in public yet. Of course. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it's easier that way sometimes to to get things done. Um, but as as this thing grows, you know, you can see also NFC on Lightning as well with LN URLs. So wallets are sort of like dabbling on that as well. Uh, it, you know, when it comes to phones, NFC is a given, right? Like it's like it's free. It's on the phone. It's already there. You know, it it, it reduces cost on the clients, right? So like on the card or whatever, it's going to be the NFC counterpart. Uh, so it doesn't need a screen to display QRs. It doesn't need any of that stuff. And it's high bandwidth, right? So we can transfer a complex multi-sig transaction, you know, quickly, like nearly instant, really, uh, to the phone uh, and back uh, where you can't do that with QRs. Like you, you need animated QRs, they're finicky, it takes forever. So, it, it, you know, it, it really is a substantial improvement so much so that, you know, you see companies like Square, you know, they are building on NFC, right? We, we think that that's a very good solution for that. And then, you know, maybe you see QRs for, you know, your more cold storage kind of solutions and other things. Gotcha. And so I think the use case there, definitely the NFC for phones, absolutely. I think because nowadays, basically any modern smartphone has NFC. Um, so that's pretty given. What's the thought there for laptops and desktops? Like, is the user just going to have to buy some kind of NFC reader, USB plug that to the laptop or the PC? Or what's your thinking there? Nobody's going to buy it. You know, realistically speaking, it's silly. I think that as NFC technology with mainstream and like major consumer electronics sort of like spreads more, you will start seeing NFC laptops as well. I, I haven't seen, I'm sure there must be one or two out there, but I haven't seen anything interesting. But realistically speaking, the people who are seeking these solutions are phone first, right? So third world, developing world, like all these places are phone first. Most of these people don't have a computer anyways. Uh, they are, on, you know, at max on a tablet or something. Those all have NFC. Um, so I really think that, you know, NFC is for the phone solutions, you know, and then like for computers and desktop, we're looking at different sort of, you know, we can do better and different with, with computers. But, you know, but if they do integrate, they'll be great because then you can co-sign uh, your more complex stuff on there. Gotcha. Yeah. So as an example, if you had, I mean, just as an example, like two of three or three or five, where maybe one of the keys was a tap signer, but the other keys were, you know, cold card and others, then it might be difficult on the computer aspect of it, unless there's some kind of uh, paired app, right? So I guess in the case of Nunchuck, you can have a mobile wallet. And I think if you, can, if you have a Nunchuck account, that might, maybe that can kind of help you deal with that across like when you're straddling across like one part that's on the computer and another part that's on the um, device or the other way in that case might just be to do it all off the phone right so if you know cold card has nfc and then you could like kind of 
do it together like where you have like once one one pc one piece there one piece in another let's say in the future other hardware wallets get or hardware devices get bitcoin hardware devices um to be clear get nfc support then you then you kind of manage it all off the phone first anyway yeah i mean and we're pushing this from different angles too right so cold card has nfc Tapsider has NFC, and then there is Satscart, right? Which is essentially the Open Dime replacement. And, and Open Dime has like an incredible market penetration. Like, you know, like pretty much all Bitcoiners have it. Uh, so we hope that that happens to Satscart as well. And then because the market is going to have a lot of Satscart, it's also going to incentivize wallets to, to integrate, right? right? To support it and so on. Exactly. Yeah, right. So yeah, so we'll see. I, I'm I'm hopeful. I, I'm bullish on it. I think there's going to be a lot of use for that. Like like we were saying, whether that's people in the developing world, and uh, I think it's just because you're coming in at an extremely low price point compared to other wallets. Now, of course, the security is different, but you know, I think I think it'll it'll definitely be part of the conversation. So uh, yeah, so I guess that that's um that's probably the tap signer conversation. Yeah, well, I guess let's just chat a little bit about a, a kind of where the Sats card is at as well. So, in terms of how this one works, it's the same kind of, it's a similar kind of flow, like if you're using with Nunchuck, right? Yeah, so so it's actually even simpler, right? The, the Sats card we want it to be like the truly stupid simple UX, right? So if you tap it with your phone uh, without any app, okay, it just pops up on the browser. We double check that the card is actually a card, a code card that CoinKite made, right? So, so there's a certificate there that we check in our servers, and then it gives you an address for you to deposit, and that's it. It's like there's you don't need to install, you don't need to do anything. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the deposit case, and then the withdrawal case is the, as an example, nunchuck and tap, tap to spend and stuff. Exactly. Then, then you tap, and then you give the pin, and then it lets you sweep the key. But what's cool is, unlike Open Dime, this one actually has ten slots, so we can actually reuse it ten times. Heck, you could even unseal and sweep the ten keys at the same time as a single transaction out. Gotcha. And so this might be handy as well for people, as an example. Uh, a lot of Bitcoiners like to give this as a wedding gift or open dice yes. as a wedding gift. So maybe this is, you know, you can easily slip that one into the wedding gift card or the birthday card or whatever, and it's it's very easily giftable. And so the price range for this one is even cheaper, right? This is, uh, was it like six or seven dollars per card, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think I think right now it's like like on launch sale at like seven ninety nine or six ninety nine, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, Sats card first edition is six ninety nine. Um, and then go. some of the different branded ones. So th- again, this is like a branding opportunity for people as well. Like when artists, right? Yeah, we wanna we wanna support artists too, right? So so it's it's kind of fun to to have like art in it. And it's collectible. It's very like uh, it, it, you know like you sort of have some some play and some fun with the Bitcoin scarcity, right? Because people like a lot of Bitcoiners love to collect stuff too. So we figured we make this into something like that. Yeah, so it's perfect for giveaways and really makes a lot of sense for gifting um, opportunities, right? Birthdays, weddings, yes. anniversaries, or, things or like even this. just you know, uh, we've we've been talking a lot with like um, uh, people in the African continent that want to essentially get large batches of this, denominate it, and then use it as like being essentially like the mint there, right? So because I don't know if people know this, but a lot of African countries. Uh, actually use uh, money printed in France. And the French have a signage on it. It's like it's like it's like a world of like like bullshit, right? 
so so there is a lot of guys there trying to find physical solutions that need to be affordable, right? Uh, like on terms of like the actual device to sort of fulfill some of that, at least for the higher value bills, right? So so we're trying to experiment with that uh, uh, in some of those places. Uh, it's always been the dream of Open Dime, but Open Dime was too too expensive. So we think with this, maybe we we start to get closer to 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 the idea. You know, and personally, like I've used it to buy stuff from people, right? Because I don't want to wait for you to like, you know, I bought a piece of art uh, that was not cheap and I didn't want to sort of like, you know, send money in front of the computer, like in front of the person on the phone and like know which ETXOs I'm using, whatever, right? Like, no, I just have a stack of this, right? And they're all like denominated a bit higher, right? It's like, here, here's two cards, you know, to make the whole sort of cost and that's it. Back to the show in a moment. Now, are you worrying about your Bitcoin security or have you left your coins on an exchange somewhere? Don't do this. Learn how to secure your coins in your own self-custody and Unchained Capital can help you with this and they can help you upgrade to multi-signature also. So even if you're on a single signature setup, you might consider going to multi-signature to remove single points of failure. Now, Unchained Capital can help you. Their setup is called a two of three multi-signature setup. You hold two keys in different locations and they hold one. Now they can set you up on this. They've got a concierge onboarding program where they will ship you the hardware if you need it and they will do a video call with you to set you up and help you withdraw from an exchange or out of your single signature hardware wallet into your multi-signature vault. So this is a great way. If you've been dragging your feet on this, it's time for everybody to improve our Bitcoin security. Go to multi-signature. Go to unchanged.com slash concierge. Use code Levera for a discount there. Are you using a plain old block explorer? Mempool.space is the Bitcoin explorer across Bitcoin's fully-fledged multi-layer ecosystem. Now, the drama of the last week or so was the left-to-right or right-to-left. Well, Mempool.space are giving you the choice. You can now view the blocks whether you want to see them left-to-right or right-to-left. Now, Mempool.space also have a Lightning Network Explorer. And I find this really handy. If you want to search a Lightning node and see their channels, even see the transactions that relate to the on-chain channel open and channel close, you can do all this on mempool.space. And you don't even have to trust a third party. This is free and open source. You can host it yourself. Now, if you're an enterprise customer, mempool.space offers customized mempool instances with your company's branding, increased API limits, and more. Go learn more at mempool.space slash enterprise. Now back to the show. Gotcha. Yeah. And then as an example, in that scenario, they could uh, tap, they could hold it to their phone uh, and then see the address and they could see, oh, okay, let's say $100 or whatever has been sent to this card yeah, money's sitting there. on the address. And at that point, they can be like, okay, I've got the $100 or whatever, and then walk off, you know? Yeah, maybe a lot of the new Bitcoiners were not around for the years where we did all this with paper wallets. Uh, the problem <laughs> with the paper wallets was that, like, you know, the originator could redeem the, the private key because it was shared by both, right? But back in the day, we used to just print paper wallets and give it to people. That, that was sort of like the Bitcoiner way of giving BTC. <laughs> and and it's like nowadays paper wallets are just universally discouraged yes, that's correct <laughs> but of course back in those days you know you know cold card can still generate paper wallets as pdfs it's kind of fun <laughs> right yeah i think it's in one of the advanced menus i think i've seen that it's very deep in there <laughs> yeah Okay, uh, and so uh, well, let's chat a little bit about the MK4. So uh, what's been uh, you know, the latest there and what can we expect to see coming? So, so like MK4 is like, 
now like really sort of moving, which is kind of fun to see. Uh, people people really like the, the the plastic upgrade on the design, and you know, there's the sleeve and it's USB C. So so like it really sort of like hit the spot in terms of the things that people wanted to see upgraded. We are now seeing like a lot of miners using that as their also mining wallet because now they can make like very large transactions, uh, which was not possible before. And I think it was not possible with any hardware wallet before. Right. Uh, just to clarify here, so what we're talking about here is if you're using a transaction that has a lot of UTXOs in it, and yes. theoretically that means the transaction is very large in terms of size, and then some people have noticed uh, difficulty either doing large multi-sig or just a lot of outputs, a lot of UTXOs going into that transaction, meaning it's difficult to sign on a hardware device. So what we're talking about here is basically with this device, it's got a faster CPU, it's got more RAM, so yes. it can it can handle it basically exactly and and that was true also for multisig as you as you mentioned uh, there was a huge bottleneck for some people doing especially like uh, like business uh, um, like uh, you know your corporate sort of wallet gotcha yeah so as I understand then basically let's say you've got a business you're receiving a lot of coins you've got a lot yes. of uh, UTXOs in your wallet and so then when you're trying to spend naturally the transactions might be quite large also and so it can be impractical if you don't have a wallet that can handle it basically and then same for the miners right because they're, if they're getting payouts yes. each of those payouts can be relatively small but they need to be able to consolidate them to do stuff with it yeah and, and we heard this from the the, the collaborative multi-sig solutions like Unchain, right like some of their users did have like a lot of UTXOs and, and you know and they were having like a hard time trying to sort of transact out with any of their hardware wallets, right? So like we sort of went into harder devices. We wanted to uh to sort of like really not be the bottleneck anymore, right? So now like it doesn't matter if this has a transaction, we, we could sign it. Uh, the the max transaction of the network is still below our threshold. So we're fine. And you know, and then there is the virtual disk. So we brought in a whole new sort of like slew of new users that wanted to to have like a, a very sort of like plug and play kind of a way of doing things. Uh, so they're doing that now. And, and then, you know, like we have a lot of like new features coming in the next firmware upgrade. Uh, we're sort of like fixing a little, a few little things. Uh, we're doing like, uh, like menu wraparounds that people wanted. And we, we have two things we're working on there. I don't know if they're going to make it in the next one. One of them might. Uh, might just take another couple kind of thing, but uh, we're working on uh, ephemeral seeds. So if you want to load a temporary seed in there, you can. We see people, especially trying to help like family, friends or whatever. We don't want them loading those seeds on a computer to help them sort of transfer or whatever. So you're going to be able to just type in that seed into a code card as temporary thing, right? do the business you have to do and then the cold card forgets it right but because we have secure elements and all this stuff we can sort of like do a little bit a better provable way of showing that things were sort of like properly erased gotcha yeah so just talking that through for listeners who are new what we're talking about here is if let's say a family member has 12 or 24 words and rather than type that into a hot online connected computer which is a bit of a no-no from a security point of view the advice generally is, has been to type it into a hardware wallet. But then the question is, if, unless you've got spare hardware wallets, it's, or, it's, or it can be expensive doing that. So this is, I guess, this feature is for that use case where, as an example, you have this sort of, you might, you, the stacker, the pleb, the hodler, might already have your cold card and you can maybe use that as a feature to help your family member not have to type it into a computer online connected with potentially a lot of coin and putting themselves at risk. So this is a way there. 
You know, sometimes you just have like seeds you have to, you want to check balances or something, but they're not actually loaded into any device. Gotcha. So you can just, you know, put it in, export a Electrum file or, or Sparrow file, right? Put it on the computer and then erase the seed and then it's gone, right? And then, you know, you just rely on your metal backup and stuff. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like it's sort of like a very useful thing for like familial sort of kind of relationships or Uncle Jim kind of relationships. Uh, and, and we already support the BIP-85 seeds as well. So we figured, hey, you know, if we already can support temporary seeds with the BIP-85, might as well sort of let people generate even uh, temporary seeds. Gotcha. So that feature will be called ephemeral seeds, is it? Yes. Gotcha. I, I couldn't find a better name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love, some of, some like, of this stuff is, is a little technical, right? But that said, like, if you're already a cold card user, chances are you are mm -hmm. trying to learn a bit more anyway. And so, you know, you can sort of deal with learning a little bit and dealing with a little bit of the complexity because you're sort of helping your family and your friends um, figure things out. Yeah, realistically, that's, yeah, that's the scenario. Uh, and then the other thing that we're working on is integrating Schnorr signing. So, you know, it's still sort of like, you know, we're still in the phase of Schnorr that's like sort of like more hype, right? In the community, everybody wants it. Everybody finds it cool, but nobody uses it, right? And there is no sort of like major advantage to it aside from saving a little bit in fees. But fees right now are near zero. So, but, you know, we still don't want to sort of like neglect it. So we're working on, on adding that. I think we just made a PR to LibNGU, which is like glue for the actual uh, uh, like crypto library uh, from core libsec. So we're sort of like just, you know, progressing because for us is a little bit different than other hardware wallets. We don't sort of YOLO transactions, you know, transactions on cold card, they, they are uh, a sanity checked uh, and, and they have like a little bit more scrutiny before the device signs it. It, it checks that the address, you know, the deposit addresses are yours. Sorry, that the change addresses are yours. It changes for a fee size relative to to transaction size. So there is a lot of checks that happen, and all those checks break if you change fundamental parts of transactions, right? So we have to essentially rebuild all those checks and all those things. So it, it's, it's substantially more work. Gotcha. Yeah, and so and that that will get more complicated as all these more fancy advanced scripting and things come to Bitcoin. Uh, and I know even with like trying to do Schnorr as well, as I understand, like, I guess speaking cynically, it may be the case that a lot of people choose to just keep using uh, the common multi-sig types today as opposed to switching to like MuSig2 because MuSig2 might like, let's say once we do have that, it might be a bit more complex and involve a lot of rounds of back and forth, right? So we'll sort of see what happens. That's another reason why we added uh, NFC uh, uh, to the code card is that you can be interactive over NFC uh, while you can't do that with, with QRs, right? Gotcha. Uh, so if you want to be really cold, you know, go with the go with SD card. You know, we can still display QRs in the cold card screen. You know, who knows? Maybe in the future there is both camera and NFC on a cold card, right? Uh, I'm not opposed to anything, but I'm just sort of like trying to think like cost effectively, what can we do to advance Bitcoin self-custody, right? And you need to be economically reasonable too, right? Uh, it, it, it's it's sort of like, it's easy to make a $400 hardware wallet, right? Uh, <laughs> like now making a hardware wallet that's like, you know, 150 bucks, like that, that's like a lot more challenging. And that's sort of like where we want to really sort of like focus for now. Yeah, right. Because the, the approach that you see with some people is 
you know, uh, it almost looks like using an Android phone, right? As an example, you know, uh, what used to be Kobo, now the Keystone, it's yeah. kind of like using an Android phone as a wallet. Yeah, and that's a problem too, right? Because you lose all the security, right? I mean, you know, now in order to maintain the price point, like you're using like, you know, a Chinese secure element and, you know, you're, you're, you have a complex screen that's like full of holes and then you have like Android. Android is, you know, like a whole other millions and millions of lines of code, right? You can't audit that. So, you know, you, you got to do the reasonable things, at least in my opinion, right? Uh, and then, you know, sure, if you want to put your, you know, shit coins, they're going to go to zero anyways in one of those things. That's fantastic, right? I mean, they, they are very good user experiences. You have to give it to them, right? But I, I think it's important to sort of like, you know, keep Bitcoin secure. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's about, you know, finding that right balance. I think it's, it's, uh, it sort of reminds me, I mean, people talk about like, well, it's like the classic project management one, right? Like it's uh, cost versus time versus quality. And you're trying to sort of find the right balance of these things as opposed to just trying to be the outright like lowest cost or you know etc right or having the most features or having you're sort of trying to find that right balance and i think i think that approach makes a lot of sense to me and uh so yeah i like yeah, that Yeah, it's kind of funny right like we, we use that sort of like low type reference mentality too right i'm not gonna like package this thing in a 10 20 box right just because the box is pretty <laughs> I mean, the box goes <laughs> right, to the garbage, yeah. right? Like, I'd rather put $10, $20 into, like, actual components that increases the value of the device by $10, $20, right? Like, then, then sort of, like, you know, doing silly things, right? Uh, it, we do have a very expensive bag, you know? Like, it, it's like that bag is not cheap because it's actually, like, it's very similar to airport uh, booze bags uh, or, or, like, like TSA bags that they have in airports. Like, you know, it's like a level four tape in there. But yeah, but that, that's the idea. It's like, how can I deliver value as opposed to deliver like shiny things, right? Right. And I think there's a big segment, segment of the market who just love that anyway, right? Like they're all mm -hmm. about that. And I think that's kind of like a very Bitcoin thing anyway, is to sort of not be, uh, right? It's almost like in Bitcoin culture, it's almost anti buying a Lambo, right? Like it's anti, right. you're not meant to buy a Lambo, you're meant to buy you know, a family van to fit all Toyotas, your kids in man. it. That's kind of, Toyotas yeah. all the way. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's about reliability and, you know, practicality. So that's cool. What else have we got? Oh, you've got a new podcast. You're competing with me. What's going on here, huh? That's right, Davira. <laughs> uh, I'm already overtaking you in the charts. Uh, I, I'm even over Peter McCormick now in England. Uh, no, it's a joke. Uh, so, yeah. So, we, you know, I, I, I got really sick from hearing uh, shitcoiners saying that nothing happens in Bitcoin. Uh, so, so you know, I created a Bitcoin.review. That's that's the domain. I had the domain. There's a nice little site there. And, and the, the idea is we will... I always have gas, uh, more than one. Uh, so so uh, Matt and Justin uh, came came quite a few times. I had the Pierre and the Beats team. And, and then I had one episode that I tested. It was kind of fun where we had like a, a wallet roundtable with actual security experts, not like a bunch of LARPers. Right. I listened to that. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, and we will go through the software update list for like, you know, and discuss projects and, and discuss things with like people who know what the fuck they're talking about for like two and a half hours kind of thing. So, and it comes out like every two, three weeks. I figure like, you know, I pack it in, you know, and sort of like deliver sort of like very high signal. Uh, you know, we have a little bit of banter in there. So uh, we fail at being boring, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it's a lot of fun. And, and, and like, and it just 
like helps me see what's going on in the space as well. It's just so much being developed. I uh, yeah, I think we have what like six episodes, seven episodes now, so uh, people should definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure. And so you yeah, do you on? want to touch? Sorry, you're gonna have to come on. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Of course, uh, of course I'll come, come on. You're going to come read the list. <laughs> yeah, right. And offer some commentary and, you know, it'll That's be good. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, tell us, uh, for people who are not as uh, fortunate, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, this Block Clock Micro. I haven't had the chance to plug it in and turn it on yet, as I just literally got it. But uh, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so that was born out of, okay, we are in, the, in, a, in a bear market. It wasn't bear market yet, but, you know, it, it looked like it was going to dunk anyways. So we were trying to find a way to make a, a, like a, a block clock mini, uh, like, like alternative version that, that was affordable. Right. I mean, like, you know, the mini is still 400 bucks. Right. Which is a lot better than the $5,000 of the original clock. Right. So what we did is we we tried to leverage the same parts. Right. So we were using the same display, just turn horizontal. It's just one display. Uh, we learned a bunch of things and, uh, you know, it only has one acrylic on the front. But like it looks like really pretty. It's like it's still heavy. Uh, so like, you know, it's got that quality look, right? We still use like expensive gold on the PCB. It's like three microns uh, as opposed to one micron in normal PCB boards. And uh, and it's got a beeper as well, which is kind of fun. Uh, the, the functions for the beeper are still not in the UI, but they will be soon. Uh, it's USB-C. And uh, it's it's still Wi-Fi. It's the same, it's the same brains as the, as the Mini and stuff, but we managed to get it down to like sub $200. Uh and uh, we pre-sold a ton of these. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to see, like, you know, like what people do with it and, and what kind of memes come out of it. Uh, it's, uh, we started shipping now. And, uh, yeah, but it's still sort of like, if you want to get in line, do the, the reservation thing because, like, it's, it's kind of out of control. Yeah, right. And uh, so I, I think there's big things coming, right? Because with the uh, Block Clock... Uh, mini there was there was awesome memes obviously that was where the sat the moscow time meme came jack dorsey had it in the background of his yeah. uh i think it was some congressional appearance uh mm-hmm. and uh, i think the former thai prime minister had That's it in the right. background on his when he went on a show as well so it's like it's like crazy how you know who's got these things it's gonna happen yeah it, it's it's uh it's kind of fascinating it's also fascinating some of the people that reach out to us like that like we can't really talk about that like have these clocks like it, it's kind of hilarious i think eventually we will leak that like you know these people are going to be taking a picture or on something and then it shows on the back and they're like holy shit i didn't know this guy was a bitcoiner <laughs> <laughs> it's like the subtle if you know you know kind of thing that's right um, i love it that's cool and then, yeah, also, uh, you've got a bunch of websites that are, you know, out there uh, that kind of obviously help, you know, show, point people back to CoinKite and, you know, to buy cold cards and things. Um, but I've seen one, you've got, uh, you, you, you've got uh, some different ones around treasuries as well. Yeah, so, so Bitcoin treasuries, like, kind of, like, really got big uh, last year. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, we end up selling the domain. <laughs> And then, like, you know, like the, the folks that, that bought it, like, didn't want to sort of carry on the project as was. So, you know, and, you know, there, there was a whole conversation about it. So we, we relaunched as .NET. So, so it's BitcoinTreasuries.net. And, uh, you know, this project is like sort of like too important for, for Pumponomics not to, not to carry on. So I've just redid the site. 
Uh, now it's properly like data driven. It's got like beautiful charts on it. And very soon, probably a week or two, I hope, uh, we're going to have a means for you to create an account and contribute data, help clean up the data, contribute data. I've been talking to the Glassnode guys as well to maybe get some of those uh, shitcoin wrapped Bitcoin values and contracts also listed there. Because I'm what I really want to do is like I want to have a place where I have like a picture of what's going on with like institutional or large uh, holders. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to sort of get that all in one place, but I want people to sort of contribute the data too, right? Uh, and we should have like APIs for people to use it as well, uh, to use the data. Uh, and yeah, so, so that, that project is coming along nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's a fun little thing. Yeah, and speaking sociologically, I think having the leaderboard aspect is cool because then people are competing because they, they want to get higher up on the, le- on the leaderboard. And yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, as I glance at the list now, obviously MicroStrategy are up at the top. They've got 0.619% of the overall 21 million. Um, and I, I suppose there are always going to be these questions about accuracy as well, right? Because so how do you sort of uh, tread that line of, let's say, wanting to be a complete list, but then also not wanting to put up inaccurate listings or if people just say they've got, I mean, people can just say they've got 2% of the supply, but who's going to believe right. that? Right? Yeah. So, so for public companies, it's kind of easy, right? Because they have reporting requirements. So we go look at the actual filings. Uh, I mean, listen, they could be lying on the filings, but then they go to jail for, um, <laughs> 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 uh, and, uh, I feel like all the the bigger, more meaningful actors there are sort of like they kind of resolve themselves because they are public companies. They you know they're not going to go to jail because of this, so they try to be a little bit more honest about it. You know, God knows it could be fake Bitcoin that they have on the balance sheet too, right? They could claim that it's Bitcoin, but it's actually like I don't know some other synthetic Bitcoin product or whatever, right? So yeah. we don't have a way of going above that. Well, they could even get wrecked or rug pulled, right? Like if they're yeah, not securing sure. their own coins and they're just leaving it on a custodian, well... <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and then the smaller players, it's not a big deal if their numbers are fake because they're also like much smaller numbers on the list, right? So they're not as economically relevant either. So I, I kind of like, in a way, I kind of feel like it resolves itself uh, by just sort of like big economical actors have more to lose with fake numbers, and smaller economical actors are more economically relevant, right? Yeah. And and now with this new way for people to submit data and help curate the data that I have coming, it should help with the quality too, because now we can have more scrutiny even on the data sort of like input, right? Because I make mistakes, right? So I want other people who who spend a lot of time with this stuff to to help contribute and sort of like clean up the data and stuff. Yeah. And so in terms of the rule here, are we talking generally public companies, public entities, uh, we're not really talking about individual hodlers here, like Michael Saylor's, however many thousand coins he has. I would never have people listed. I don't like that idea. There is something deeply wrong about like sort of do- doxing or even if the person is self-doxed, but like, I don't know, it just, it just rubs me the wrong way to have people. Right. Yeah. Maybe if they were politicians, I don't mind, but, uh, but yeah, so, so right now you ha- the bar is you have to be a public company. Uh, or you have to be like, have someone authority, right? Like say like a state actor or something like that. Or you have to be say a private company above a certain, you know, like say $50 million revenue per year or something. Right. However, uh, is I have the capability of having like user 
input and user help curating the data, we can lower the threshold because now we have more people looking for data and try to sort of like clean it up. So, because ideally I want to have like tahinis in there, right? That's the goal. Can I get all the way down to like a small business, right? Uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and, you know, this is very clear. This is not a trading instrument, right? Like you shouldn't be using this as your, as part of your trading charts, right? This is a fun thing. This is a popular culture thing. Uh, this is, this is for us to sort of like help the pumponomics and have, you know, CEOs of companies measuring, you know, their shoe size, uh, and, uh, and sort of try to compete with each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it'll be interesting to see, um, what happens with that? And uh, obviously, you know, we're, we're going in a bit of a bear market and sometimes you need a bit of fun, bit of memes to kind of keep people going. And then sooner or later, and again, none of us has a crystal ball, none of us knows, but, you know, eventually the cycle turns and then, you know, we're back again. So uh, I think that's kind of where it's at. Uh, I'm curious if you have any, I guess, predictions or any, uh, any other things you're expecting to happen over this, uh, let's say, this bear cycle. Oh, man. It's such a weird one with all this like uh, 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 gag macro thing. I mean, like I think I think what's one amazing thing that's happening this year is that like I think mainstream is starting to realize how idiotic central banking is. They they can cause inflation, but they cannot fix inflation, and they can cause interest rate pain and not accomplish anything with that. Right? It's kind of fascinating. I think people are starting to realize, including the Fed, that like they can't taper a Ponzi. Like math doesn't work that way. So if you try to to taper a Ponzi, what happens is it breaks, right? Like you you need new fresh sucker money coming in, if that's from the printer or from the suckers, to sort of pay off the other people that came in before, right? So so this Ponzinomics that that is central banking now is it's starting to really break, right? So it's going to be very interesting if, if you know the 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 meme of the uh, of you know the printer is coming, uh, sort of like turns out to be to be a reality. I, I think I think things are going to get worse than people think, but not as bad as the doomers think. Uh, I, I think the world. I, this is something that I think Bitcoiners miss, generally speaking, about economics, is that the world has a lot of inertia. There's eight billion people in the world, right? So, you know, there is a, a big incentive to fix the status quo. Just just an innate sort of like inertia-based incentive to sort of like improve the status quo, right? Because everybody depends on that. So everybody wants to believe that. And, you know, money, modern money is based on belief, not on math, right? So if everybody just believe it, you can kind of make it happen in a way, right? You know, you're pushing for later. You could still have the bottom drop. You can still, because you're, you're on a tightrope, right? But but I think it's it's very possible that these guys manage to sort of like, you know, steer this in a way that like they push another another 20 years, another 10, 20 years uh, for this thing to, to have to be dealt again. Uh, if if they sort of probably pivot soon, if they don't, then man, this shit's gonna just like pop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think this is one of those things where a lot of people want things to happen quickly, but the reality is, it's gonna take some time. And so, I think it's important to just be patient uh, and to you know, keep stacking, keep building, keep doing things that are moving the ball forward from a Bitcoin point of view. So, on that side, 
what are you looking forward to? What are you hoping to see in terms of Bitcoin and like technology or culture around Bitcoin? I think we need to get back to more toxicity. The toxicity <laughs> decrease, the all the scams increase, right? I think it's important that people use cast iron pans uh, <laughs> to make their stakes because stainless steel is a shit coin. Um, and we finally found out that Saifedean is a stainless steel shit coiner. It's a shit panel. The shit panel. No, but in all seriousness, uh, I, I think I think what's happening in this cycle that was not true in previous cycles is the amount of capital flowing into Bitcoin companies to build while in a bear. There is a lot of that going on. Um, and it, it's actually quite surprising. And, and it's probably the reason why the price has held, you know, so... So well between quotes. I mean, if it wasn't for the three AC guys, Bitcoin would have probably crashed to twenty something, like you know, twenty five, and then stayed at twenty eight forever, right? Until the next uh, boom. But those guys knocked down an extra ten k in Bitcoin. But it's surprising that it stayed at this sort of like nineteen level this far, even with you know this insanity going on in the world. So I think it's because there is all this capital going into Bitcoin companies. I think Bitcoin companies are being, you know, are profitable. They're still selling. So they are buying Bitcoin. Miners are not selling as much Bitcoin as they need because they are finding outside capital to come in. And, uh, you know, and all this building is, is great. Um, I, I, you know, my, my sort of my wants are more like, you know, I want to see more sort of like for normie wallets yeah. like wallet apps trying different things i want to i want to see um you know more more products that are not sort of like pie in the sky economics uh i, I want to see like things they're like you know people pay money for uh, as opposed to just sort of like hope to profit later or so but i think a lot of like that's the good thing about bear markets too is that it forces companies to find profit so yeah, but but I, it's this space is quite incredible. I mean, the, the amount of stuff that's happening right now, it's almost weird. It doesn't feel like a bear market, aside from the price. Right. And I think it's fair to say that it, the bear markets are progressively becoming less cold, or the winter, the you know the bear, the Bitcoin winters are becoming less cold because there's just more people in in the ecosystem, either building, educating, doing something, you know, making a business. Um. So yeah, but I definitely agree with you. I like your critique about because. Uh, Sometimes we see like VC subsidized model, right? And uh, yeah, you know, we we don't really want that in Bitcoin. We want like we want like actual workable models. Yeah, produce value, sell for money. You know, like it's not that complicated. <laughs> right. Yeah, sustainability, profitability are important metrics for everyone. So uh, yeah, I think those are probably good points for people to think about. Um, yeah. So listeners, check out CoinKite.com. Follow NVK. So it's at NVK on Twitter. Uh, and uh, thanks for joining me again. Hey, thanks for having me, Levera. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, I'd really appreciate if you leave a review and share it with your family and friends. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.